Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today I have Charles Dobell with me from Auckland, New Zealand, and I am delighted to have you with us today, Charles. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. So Charles and I met through the balloon community, and I have had another balloon artist um, actually can shoot was one of my first, uh, I think within the first five or so uh, interviews. I'm sure you know who Ken is. Um, but Ken sells a physical product and you are more on the entertainment side, but you also have a wholesale business. Yep. So um, Charles has basically generally juggled two or three jobs most of his adult career life. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about those and which ones you've done from home and how that all works together. So do you want to take it away and just tell us a little bit about your work from home journey and what you're up to now? Absolutely. Thanks, April. Um, okay. So for people who don't know me, um, I, for, yeah, pretty much most of my adult life, to be fair, um, I've had a, uh, entertainment, uh, business. Um, so starting off with balloon twisting and doing entertainment prior to that was actually starting off with, um, poetry and pubs but we won't go down that track that's a whole different thing uh, which does mean that it, almost every form of interacting with the public to me is easy because poetry and pubs is hard very very hard so everything else is like you know it's not that bad um, so yeah always had sort of a day job 40-ish hours a week um, and done my other jobs on the side and when I say on the side, it's interesting because they've usually been a much higher income for my family than the day job. But by doing that, we you end up with a much larger income. You end up with the ability to, when gigs come in, um, which are a lot of money, you don't have to say yes to all of them. You can look at the calendar, see how much you've worked and go, actually, no, no, I've got a family day that day or I need to do this. Um, but it also allowed my wife um, in Auckland, which is quite hard to do um, around the year 2000 to stay at home and look after the kids. So I basically had two and a half right. incomes, but it would have been 50, 60 hours a week most of the time. And sometimes it was just a 40 hours a week job. Um, yeah. So um, the, the home stuff's obviously working from home, but contracting on customer sites. So all my gear at home, um, practicing at home, doing the training and a lot of that sort of thing and getting some of that benefit at work. Um, something a couple of managers have said with the day job as well is that they're amazed at how relaxed and confident I am at work. And I think that's because I've got other income streams. That we, We've all had that, that work environment that's just not acceptable to you and to your mental health. And if I ever end up being in one of those environments, I'm just like, you know what? I can handle myself for a few months. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to quit because you're not looking after me and you're not looking after our customers properly. Um, and it means that it's a lot more relaxing at work because I always have that opportunity. Um, so there's, there, there's lots of, lots of people think that multiple jobs are stressful. To me, it's about choices. The more choices you have, it doesn't mean you have to make those choices, but the more choices you can choose from, um, the less stressed you are because you feel more in control of your life and what's going on. Um, yeah. So yeah, my, my three Are you roles. Are work that you like now? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I've, um, I've done a bunch of management roles and I've set up a number of call centers and done things like that. But, um, what I found is I actually love being a call center worker. I, I, I'm really, really good at it. And we'll touch on that a little bit later, I guess, in, in the podcast. So had the, the 40 hour a week day job usually corporate jobs, call center sales, um, and, and management for a while, but I, management was stressful, didn't enjoy it that much. <laughs> um, okay. My entertainment job, so doing balloon twisting, circus arts, juggling, fire performing, mostly turned into 90 to 100% balloon twisting over about 10 years. Um, easier on the body, less gear to carry around, although now my balloon rig is almost as big as my fire performing rig. <laughs> Just doesn't have the fire extinguisher and the fire blankets and the how big you, jugs of fuel. <laughs> how do you get into fire? What did you say? Fire what? A fire. Well, fire performing. So fire poi, fire staffs. Um, so I have two big, long, one point two meter poles with 
wick on either, either end, soak it in fuel, spin it around while it's on fire. Like a juggling club, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably well, quite a, a big unicycle, thing. I'm sure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and occasionally backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh that's quite a southern hemisphere thing so Australia, Pacific Islands, New Zealand um, it, it's quite a large part of the culture I think um, but maybe not so much northern hemisphere um, yeah, you, you see a movie set in Hawaii you'll see a fire performer um, wow. on that side of it so that that's the entertainment side and then there's the decor which I've just got into sort of the last 10-ish years or so um, which is doing big installations at customers' sites. And that's that's a lot more intensive as far as you've got to do a number of site visits and you've got to actually um, measure, up, measure up the area, do a whole big health and safety plan, do, do everything right, basically, um, which means that I so do... So is this when you would have like the big like arches and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, like the arches, arches. Are, um, are what most people... Arches and columns are what most people are familiar with. Um, I do lots of large stuff like um, uh, an eight-foot um, beer mug and, uh, and about 12 eight-foot sculptures for a supermarket opening and, um, and a couple of, let's say, converting from metres, let's say, a couple of 35-feet balloon garlands strung between their aisles. Um, so I, I prefer the really big stuff, but it does take me out. And the last few years... Um, I haven't had the, the corporate job. There's a lot of family needs that came up all at once. And so I quit the day job and focused on the family and tried to get the income. But that allowed me to do some really big installations once or twice a month um, and then focus on the family for the rest of the time. Um, yeah, so an awful lot going on. Installations. Yeah, I'm curious with the installations. Do you feel like you are working out on on site most of the time or do you feel like you do most of your prep work or your design and um i know you're having to deal with inventory and warehousing stuff um how much of that for a big job would you say is home versus out um that's that's an interesting question if i had to guess i would say probably 50 50 um but the 50 50 will be out on site talking to the client convincing them that the one that what they want the possible choices that they can have as opposed to the impossible choices are the ones that they are going to get um is, <laughs> is actually a big chunk of it it's like well we want this 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 and this and i'm like well you you can't put you can't put decor right up by your um fire and smoke alarms because when they don't have air flowing over them for a certain period of time it's going to go off and the entire building is going to empty for an hour um, and that's going to cost you $50,000. And so I know you want a huge canopy up there. You've got some smoke sensors up there, and I'm not going to do that. So, And this is where I like the corporate customers as well, because they understand that sort of thing, and you can word it in the right way. Whereas if it's someone who's hired a venue, they're going to say, well, I'll just tell the venue to turn off the fire alarms or something like that. It's, it's yeah, it, gets, it gets a bit tricky. <laughs> so I, I do... Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. There, there's there's a lot more to working on a customer's site, particularly a corporate customer's site, than there is doing some balloon twisting in somebody's house or making a small arch in, in front of somebody's property or at their wedding. So you really have to respect the site and do, do all those things, which costs a lot more. And so I charge a lot more than what a lot of people think that sort of stuff costs. Um, but yeah. that's when I do the really big stuff. I'm really good value. But if you want me to do so, a single arch, I'm not particularly good value because I have a, I have a high um, minimum fee and then everything on top yeah. of that that you get from me gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So one of the things that I know about your balloon business is that you focus a lot on the eco side. Like Absolutely. not everyone realizes that uh, balloons are actually, latex is a natural product and that they deteriorate, they break down. Um, I know that you have, You've talked in our balloon jams where we get together. So actually, I don't know if I even mentioned, but um, the way that we met Charles is that he showed up at one of our uh, local balloon jams as a guest. And then he's kind of turned into a permanent fixture, uh, which we love having you um, and offers a really interesting perspective. Um, we have talked a lot about the eco side and how he has a, a no waste 
balloon Zero business. Waste. And yep. most people think of balloons as like litter or this plastic, you know, unnatural substance. But why don't you go ahead and talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. So first thing I'd like to do is completely differentiate from the term balloon and the term natural latex. Because they're all okay. I mean, a balloon can be a pig's bladder, right? Or it can be a plastic bag or it can be a manufactured piece of plastic. So I'm talking about natural latex, and when I say natural latex, I mean high quality natural latex like the main balloon companies offer. Um, not the cheap, nasty ones that have a really weird almost oil or, or petrochemical smell to them. Those start off as natural latex, and there's a whole bunch of factories around the world, but they pump a huge number of preservatives and other chemicals into them because the balloons that April and I use, um, they go off after a few years. If you don't store them properly, um, and they, they start to go off, and that's fine because when you don't have all that extra stuff in it, it does what we want. It's a top-quality product. It, it's, like a, a, it's like a carver using natural wood compared to tantalized wood you know it's it's di okay. it started off the same way but it's different it's not as good for you not as good for the environment so first of it all it last longer but yeah yeah but but it's not as predictable it's not as strong it doesn't do it doesn't do what you want it to do so it's not mm. that balloons are eco it's that the good quality balloons the ones that stretch so if you just inflate it and it, it puffs up and you tie it it's plastic. If it changes to many times its size, then it start it started off as natural latex, and it probably is good quality natural latex. Um, I use the Qualitex brand, which is also Rainforest Alliance certified, um, which is like a trade aid certification for rainforest species. The rainforest ah. um, has latex trees. That's where they evolved, um, or where you can find. I them have now, a bag of Qualitex on my chair right here. <laughs> with a Qualitex uh, pump sticking out of it because sometimes I buy them as a set. So, but, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, some, something that concerns me and has concerned me for a long time is labeling something eco-friendly or natural means the average person actually doesn't bother thinking about what to do with it afterwards. And so my mm. business is ecoballoons.co.nz a very small part of it is the high quality natural latex that we use, which you can compost. It's the same as bark um, and wood and brown matter in composting terms. But if you put a piece of bark or wood um, on the side of the road and leave it there for a year, it's still there. So it's a matter of cutting it up into tiny pieces, putting it in an active compost, adding extra green matter, adding extra brown matter every now and then, making sure it's connected to the earth, doing all that stuff. Um, so the label of the product is, is a small part of my business. The zero waste side of it is what we actually do ourselves. So we come in, we, we do the installation, we take it down, we reuse all the framing, we use compostable tape to keep the framing together in some cases, and um, we compost all the balloons. Um, I've so you done take all of the balloons home, or you pop them first? Every single one. Oh, pop them. Yep, yep pop them or, or break them up or something like that and reuse it. Um, so that's um, that's not that difficult. So to just think ahead, to don't just think about how am I going to make this, how am I going to give this to the client, right, job done, walk off. Think about the whole process. So you have to arrange times with your clients that, right, when does your event finish? Are you certain it's going to finish at that time? Because I'm going to come in with a few blades and I'm going to break down this um, installation and I'm going to take it home to my compost so I don't want people drunk people running around if I'm waving blades about um, if I'm going to have to get up on a ladder or something like that I don't want drunk people running around um, but obviously I word it a little bit better in that I want to keep everyone safe especially your guests and your staff <laughs> but it amounts to the same thing so one um, one of the things I know about Charles is that he is very concerned about safety <laughs> you've talked about this a lot um, Oh, what was I going to say? Two things. First of all, you keep talking about your compost back home. Do you have like a garden? Uh, I have a small garden. It's about four meters by four meters, which if you multiply okay. by three will be about 12 foot by 12 foot. Pretty big, actually. And then my other question. Oh, help me. I just had it. Oh, 
Uh, my other question is, what about if you're going in and you're, and you're, first of all, convincing them to, you know, keep safety in mind and that takes extra time. And then you're going back and you're collecting everything. You have to charge accordingly. Do you feel mm -hmm. that the eco side, the no waste side of your business helps you sell more or does it affect your business? That's a really good question. Um, what I am, what it does is it gives me the clients that match my outlook better. So that the clients who care about the eco side of things, um, they are more likely to book me. And then when we talk about things, what matters to me matters to them in a similar manner far more than someone else. Um, so most, most of my private bookings, um, I, I don't go ahead with. Um, so they, they want me to do something that's not a practi practical or they want me to charge a lower price. So for me, for an average installation, I would do at least three visits to the site. So it would be one actual site visit to make sure it's all okay and that the area is safe. One to go in and build it. And the third one to go and take it down, pack it up and take it home to compost. So that's an average one. Some of them, especially some of the corporate ones, five or six visits to the site. Um, so there's a lot of cost and time involved in that. And I'm very, that's what I do. If someone says, oh, don't, bo don't, don't bother, just come and do what you can do um, so that it's cheaper for us, I'll go, sorry, that's my minimum set of rules that I follow. This is how I do my gigs. Um, feel free to look for someone else. I don't mind if you, if you employ somebody else who doesn't have those rules, but I don't break my rules. Um, so I probably turn down a lot of work as well. But turning down a lot of work also allows me to focus on those big ones when they come through. Um, and as an example, I'm a bit of a parade specialist now um, with, with a team of, of trusted colleagues as well. So we regularly, the last few years, we've been making sort of 50, 60 meter long. Um, so multiply that by three. <laughs> so 150 wow. feet long parade installations for people to carry through pride parade. Like that. And all the components like the handles and this and the um the waistbands that they use to stick it on to make it easier health and safety for them to carry it's all in my garage to reuse on the next one and all the balloons are composted um so that's a huge amount wow. of area but if i was just doing a whole bunch of little columns and arches two or three of those a day i wouldn't have any ability to work on those big projects um, so, and having yeah, I would... your other day job gives you a little mm. bit more freedom to turn down the balloon work that you don't prefer or enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so while I've done most of those ones before COVID, um, for three years before COVID, I was um, full-time with my wholesale and my decoring entertainment, so my business. And so that was that time to go in and do those interviews and everything like that and do the site visits. Um, but yeah, you're what right, you it's having that day job. Side? Oh, so wholesale, I retail to other balloon artists. Okay. Yeah. Local to you in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, in New Zealand. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and I have the same you... sort of rules. So for, for me, for my own work that I do, I don't want a single piece of my product to become litter for any period of time. And I require that of my wholesale customers as well. So a large number of them want to get them for, to do this or a large number of them want constantly get calls about oh i want some eco balloons so i can let them go at a funeral and i'll just have to politely say sorry that is likely to become litter therefore we can't supply for that reason um and usually yeah. convince them not to do a release most of the time which is good because i don't I think know balloon why races are on their way out <laughs> i hope at least. i would have hoped they were already gone a few years ago but no they're still hanging around a little bit but i just can't understand why any business whether it's the or the wholesaler or the or the retailer would ever want one of their products to become litter it, it, it just to me it just doesn't make any sense to have that as the end result of what your business dealing is and so I would rather not get the business um, and hopefully educate people and hope that they come around to my way of thinking or or, or a similar way of thinking you know <laughs> That's one thing I know about you is that, you know, we're talking about you as an entertainer, um, but I think that you have almost a bigger role as an educator. Like you're always teaching and I love that. 
Uh, absolutely. So, okay, and, and... question. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I'm entertaining, um, I do teach an awful large amount of parenting skills. Um, so Parenting that... skills? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so someone comes up with two kids and says, no, you have to make them exactly the same sculpt and exactly the same colors or they're going to have a tantrum. And I'm like, well, okay, let them have a tantrum. Because what, what, what happens when, um, when they're 16 years old and they both want the same boyfriend? Yeah, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen then, right? You're not going to cut them in half and give them half each or grow them in a vat. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Let them have a tantrum. I'll, I'll serve the next person. And um, then I will treat them as individuals and do the stuff. And you certainly can't do that in almost any space or social space except when you're the entertainer. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, because you're like the, the customer fun service, guy, right? sales, social skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I did have that. I worked with a colleague I've known for a long time, um, but I hadn't with her before at a big event a while ago. Um, many 15 years ago I think now so you know thousands and thousands of people you never finish off the line and stuff and you know people would come up and say I want this and I want that and I go nope this is what I'm making you here choose what you want do this do this and afterwards she said to me how, how do you do pe people just do what you say how do you control everyone how do you make people do stuff and, and I'm like well practice I've been doing it for a long time. I start off with poetry and pubs and no one did anything I wanted them to do. <laughs> um, but it, it's you also assume that they're going to listen to you um, and you keep things fair all the time and you make sure that people can see you're being fair. So th those are both really important. One being fair, but also that it's visual, that people can see it and understand it. So, sorry, no, the other person couldn't choose their colours. You can't choose your colours either. But which of these three would you like? Um, and, you know, it, it's like, no, I'm not doing that, but. And always give them a choice that they can make, but you've given them the choices. You've given them two or three things. Uh, when you take a four-year-old into an ice cream shop, you look up at the board with 300 flavors, and you say, what do you want? Half an hour later, they're still trying to figure out what they want. You walk into the ice cream shop, you look at the board, you turn around to the three-year-old, you block them with your body so they can't see the board. By the way, yes, my three-year-old could read. <laughs> my, three, my, my younger son, my, my eldest, sorry. Yeah, my firstborn could absolutely read at three. Um, you block them with your body and you say, would you like chocolate or would you like orange and chocolate chip? And they choose one and you order it and you have a great night. <laughs> um, I've given yeah and that's just a timing thing I don't mind which one they get except rum and raisin I don't know why they have that flavor <laughs> children shouldn't be that having rum pretty disgusting <laughs> now um, we, we talk about this a lot in our balloon jams or our little online meetings that we have every week about crowd control and and um, you know you were saying shutting down the line so like when you have 50 people waiting for a balloon and your venue has only paid you to stay for 20 more minutes you know, what are you going to do? So um, that's one thing that I am learning. I'm, I'm in the balloon community more for my daughter who wanted to be a, a balloon twister. And she's started cool. to develop some of her own little designs, which is pretty awesome. But I'm here to learn, like, we need some big people skills to get through this. Um, we tried it one day. We went to a park and I'm like, hey, start twisting your balloon dogs or whatever she can make at that time. And sure enough, kids just started lining up and then they all started dropping them in the grass and they started breaking. And I really love what you said the other day. Um, what do you tell people? Let's cut the ice cream. Certainly. Stuff. So I, I try very hard not to do gigs with gra on grass for a start. <laughs> but if, if there's no choice or if that's the way it works. So the first thing I say um, really loudly every now and then for five, 10 minutes. By the way, just a reminder to all the adults, I'm speaking to the adults, the kids are hearing and they pay more attention to something you say to an adult instead of to them. They actually listen to it because they think they're hearing something that they shouldn't. But so, by the way, just a reminder to the adults, balloons and grass are mortal enemies and the grass always wins. So what that means is keep the balloons off the grass. Don't drop them. Um, but after that, I go, if it does break, pick up all of the pieces so that there's not a single piece of litter left on the ground. 
um, get back in line, bring them back to me and I'll replace it for you as well. So this is going to happen. If it happens, pick up the bits. Um, and I'll and, have people uh, that have been in the line for half an hour and said, oh, my balloon broke. Where did it break? Over there. Where are the pieces? Ah, oh, well, go pick the pieces up and get back in line. Absolutely. Next. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and a balloon is kind of like an ice cream. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do use that occasionally as well. Yeah, the <laughs> balloon sculptures are like ice cream. Um, they last about the same amount of time, except if you look after it, a balloon sculpture will last you six weeks. Oh, wow. Pretty much that. Yeah, I guess I have. Yeah, I've seen some of them last a long time. Okay, we've talked a little bit about your entertainment and your wholesale. Um, how did you, you said you were doing that full time for a while, but now you're back in the corporate job again. So what yep. brought you back? <laughs> COVID. <laughs> So I got, in the first lockdown in New Zealand, I got tens of thousands of dollars of cancellations within a couple of days, and then my income was zero. Oh, no. So like, right. How I, long did it take you to find work? It took me, uh, I applied for the job I got um, within the first two weeks, um, but they employed me about um, five weeks later. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and I chose and an essential business so that... Well, we're in the middle of a small, a very sh small, short lockdown right at the moment. I'm working, I'm working from home. Um, but if I need to go into the office for some reason, I can because I'm an essential worker. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned call center, but it's more of a dispatch type situation, right? No, it's uh, no, it's an emergency call center, and dispatch does okay. happen sometimes. But the the main brief is responding to customers telling us about problems. Okay. Got it. Uh, I've heard you talk a little bit in the past about how, uh, or you mentioned earlier, actually, that you used to do management positions, but you actually enjoy the customer service type situation better. Can you talk about that a little bit? Certainly. Um, so I tend to think of this as, as energy more than anything. And it's what I realized. So before the global financial crisis, I'd had, um, I'd had a few management roles, set up some call centers and sales centers done a lot of sales work because the income is much higher than customer service um, and it's similar but it's not as enjoyable to me um, and then the global financial crisis came I got made redundant and I looked for a while to find a job it's first time in my life that I'd ever actually had to look for a job and not get the one that I wanted I guess customer service sales means I'm good in job interviews as well um, yeah so I chose a, uh, a utilities company that had was really good um, reputation as an employer and said, well, I don't mind coming in at the ground level. I, I need a job. I'm going to choose the company rather than the individual job and the individual role. Um, got the job, fortunately, and expected that I was going to move up into management or into a, into a, a better position, a better position um, later. After a week or two on the phones, as a customer service uh, CSR customer service representative my shoulders dropped this light bulb went off in my head is like hey I'm good at this I'm I'm really I enjoy doing this I enjoy communicating with customers I enjoy finding out what their problems are finding how my business can solve those problems and, and not necessarily what the customer is saying is their problem but what's their underlying problem you know what they're not communicating to you and querying them about that and but what I noticed was at the end of the day, I was energized. You know, most of the time in management roles, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I don't have much energy. I come home tired, not not have as much energy for my family and things like that. Customer service. It, say say you've got a hundred a hundred percent worth of energy for your eight hour shift at a job. Most people, and particularly those around me in call centers, my own staff, my own managers, things like that, the average person uses almost all that energy up during their working day and they're exhausted at the end. Call center, customer service roles, I get to the end of the day and I've got 95%, 90% energy left. I don't use much energy to do a good outcome for what the job requires and what the customers expect and all that sort of thing. And that's to me, that was a real epiphany. It's like, oh, I'm going to stay in this job. Um, I, I was it because up... it comes naturally to you and it's what you enjoy? 
Um, it's probably not as simple as that, but I have worked on it for a long, long time. So all, all, all of my jobs, all of my jobs, I've worked on it. Um, I've always recorded my own phone calls and played my own phone calls back to me, whether my manager's doing that or not. Listen to, oh, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to say that again. Oh, that sounds good. I'm going to try and say that more. <laughs> oh, I did not listen to the customer when they were trying to tell me something. Next phone call, I'm going to make sure I listen more. And 20 years of doing that. So I think maybe the problem solving and the, the self-improvement comes naturally. But the actual, the actual skills you get out of that is an applied process that gets better and better and better over time. I've done exactly the same with entertainment, with handling the crowds, with those sorts of things. You try things. Sometimes they don't work. But you don't try them again. Or you try to figure out why it didn't work and then you change it a little bit. Um, but it really is, it, it's finding a role that works for you, that doesn't use all your energy up if you're lucky enough to get a job like that. Or improve yourself to the point where you are using less energy than you were before. Um, and if a job is taking almost all your energy all the time and you have options, try and find something else that won't because it's just, I don't know, it just works well. So what about um, you're doing this new call center job? Have you had mm. any work from home jobs like for corporate in the past? No, no, this is since, since COVID, this is my first work from home. Um, but on that basis, I've made, um, I've been improving myself with my home business a lot as well. So I record my home business phone calls. Um, oh, wow. And then I, do, I I listen to them again, make some notes, and then I delete it because you, know, you can't keep okay. recorded phone calls like that. Um, yeah. So I when I when I first quit the day job and was not full time but full income for the home business, um, I went from converting about one in five phone calls to converting almost a hundred percent into sales. Um, so that was over a period of about eight months. And that was quite. And what do you think changed? Oh, the way I said things, the um, the people I accepted, the automation, and the way I worded my website. Uh, half of that was getting people who are never going to be my customers to not ring me. So I'm not saying that I forced okay. people who wouldn't have bought off me to now buy off me. As I like actually get rid of the ones who I'm not interested in talking to. Um, who want to pay me $50 for a job that I'd charge $1,000 for, because <laughs> there's just no way the two of us okay. are ever going to make business in that case. Um, but wow. also... Now, when you say $1,000, I'm trying to think of our conversion rate between New Zealand and American dollars. Is it... Uh, 700, 700 800 50? US. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, it gets a bit muddy because... Um, New Zealand's a small country, which is a long way away from places, so shipping costs a lot. So our, our balloons or our stock costs many times what yours costs. Therefore, really? our prices need to be higher to accommodate that. So you can't, you can't compare them directly. But say, okay, to me, a $1,000 job would be um, a, a couple of huge arches, like, like a 10, 11 meter arch and a couple of columns and maybe some, some large sculptures. Um, so, you know, would not the most common, maybe, maybe get 10 or 12 of those a year. Okay. Um, I want but, to talk yeah. a little bit about your transition to working from home. Um, mm -hmm. so Absolutely. this is your first home office. Did you have a home office for your wholesale stuff or were you yeah, just like exactly. working out of your kitchen living room? Well, yeah, I've got my, my area downstairs where all the, where all the stock is mostly. Uh, and there's boxes in other parts of the house. There's boxes in the garage, and there's frames in the garage, and yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, but um, but no, basically, when I'm working, my laptop comes down with me. I've got a little laptop desk, um, which is in the middle of where all the stock is, and that's how I work, basically. Um, but yeah, the the desk wasn't quite high enough, so I um, I got a couple of boxes and lifted it up so that, as always, you know, keep the Keep the screen around about an arm's length away from you. Um, have it so that your elbows are 90 degrees most of the time when you're using the mouse and the keyboard. Um, and stand and sit. Yeah, don't just sit. So don't I just have heard. Stand. 
I've heard you talk about ergonomics relating to balloons because you you talk about protecting your mm. body and but how about um can you talk about the difference between or I guess how do you apply that now to working from home at a desk for your your desk job? Oh, absolutely, and I've been utterly aware of that. Being a circus artist, even when I started my corporate jobs, I was always set the desk up right because if I if I injure myself, I get a repetitive strain injury, then my income, which is bigger than my day job income, um, disappears um, until I get better. So I've always been aware of that. Mm -hmm. So th there's lots of different postures. There's huge amounts of information about the best desk working setup. Um, as I've just said previously, the most important thing currently, which I believe and seems to be making a difference, is keep changing your position. So at least every half an hour, if you're sitting, stand. Right now I'm standing. I've got a stool just under which I can sit on. Um, and we can talk like this, but we have been talking for a bit over half an hour. I've got up and down about three times so far during this podcast. Um, How do you remember? Because that's what I struggle with. Like sometimes I'll just be so focused that I will literally forget. Do you set a timer or something? I know I, I keep an eye on the clock basically. So I think about every half hour. So 11 30, 12 o'clock, 12 30, 1 o'clock. Those are just things that I have in my head. Um, and it doesn't have to be exactly 30 minutes. You know, like, it, like just now I glanced at the clock while we're talking about this. It's nine past 11 for New Zealand time. So it's gone past that 11 o'clock. So it's time for me to sit down again. Um, okay. What I'll also think is now that I've noticed that and because I'm in the habit of thinking about these things, actually I've been sitting most of the time for sort of the last 40 minutes. So, and I'll, I'll have a look at the podcast later and see if I'm right, but I'm pretty sure. So now that's when I hop off the stool and I push it underneath the desk. And now there's mm. nothing for me to sit on. So I can't... <laughs> I have to stand up no matter how how urgent the work is or how focused I get. Now I have to stand up and do all that. I'm taking notes because um, I, I'm to the point where I, I have a relatively good ergonomic setup, but I am more inclined to sit way too much. And I think some of it has to do with my camera angle um, since I am on camera most of the time. Um, you know, I basically have this uh, spot now that's good. You know, like you're not, I'm not showing off my my messy shelving over here or my messy <laughs> shelving over here, you know, you can only see my, my nice blue backdrop, which is the wrong color. I didn't order this color. Um, but what I forget to do is to sit up. As, uh, I can stand up, but it's, it's, it's a cumbersome thing. Um, and it sounds yeah. like you've made it relatively easy for you to transition quickly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am higher up now that I'm standing in the camera view than I was before when I was sitting, I yeah. was about here. Um, and now I'm up here. So it, it's fine. Easy thing from that point of view too yeah. is move the camera back a bit more. Yeah. If you move the camera back a little bit more, um, it gives you more ability to move around in the frame and not really affect the overall look of the podcast and things like that. Right. Um, I have um, a really, really tall uh, backdrop, so I can stand up and move my camera. I just don't remember. Um, how did you trigger yourself to remember to, to do that transition? You said you look at the clock, but how did that start? Did you set an alarm at the beginning? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, you're just um, good at it? Uh, actually, let, let me think. Let me think. Let me see. If I'm going to make an educated guess, actually, it's probably when I was a manager watching my staff. Now that I'm trying to think about my earliest memory about thinking about this from a, from a time I've always been thinking about ergonomics and desk work versus circus arts and stuff. But I think when I was actually becoming focused on the half hour thing was just, just tapping my staff member on the shoulder and saying, hey, actually, t change your position, keep yourself healthy. Uh, might even be time for your morning tea or something like that. Um, and yeah, being aware of other people doing it um, is much, much easier. Our, our bodies and our brains are much more designed for telling somebody else what to do <laughs> than they are for telling us to do. For, for some reason, it's just so much easier to do that. So if you start, so and this is something we probably haven't touched on in the past because April and I have talked a lot. <laughs> um, I try to live by a, a way of life in which don't complain about something 
unless you've tried to change it. Don't mm. tell someone else off for doing something that you don't think is the right thing until you've been very, very careful to make sure you haven't done that for a long time. Um, or if you are going to tell someone such as, hey, every half hour you should be changing your position, then you damn well better start doing it as well. Right. Um, it, it, so... It's use that, use that, that ease of, of, of educating, explaining, telling off, whatever it is that our brains like to do, and then reflect it back to yourself. In fact, that's why... One of the things that was... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. In fact, that's why... Sorry, are we, are we lagging? Yeah, up? you go. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I really struggled with when I was working on site in corporate, um, or actually like a health, health facility, um, I worked at Mayo Clinic for many years and they were very big into ergonomics and like we, we received trainings and reminders. Um, we didn't actually have the pop-ups on our computer to remind us to exercise or to stretch like my husband does, but we knew that we were supposed to, but I still felt awkward to do it because I think that even though we were told you're supposed to stretch and take care of your body for, you know, the overall good of your health and so that they don't get, you know, all these disability claims and things like that. But um, it felt like you didn't look like you were working if you were standing up and stretching. Um, our, we didn't have standing desks. And so um, to lean back and stretch would make it look like we weren't focused on our work. And so I think I was more inclined to stand up and go to the bathroom. But I never actually did stretches because it felt funny. I didn't see other people doing it and I didn't want people to think, oh, she's going to be like that now. Um, what about you? Did you say that you were actually encouraging people to take their breaks? Oh, absolutely. To, yeah, to, to do micro pauses and take their breaks and would things like that. Would they do it? Sometimes. But what <laughs> I would also do is try to do it myself and try to do it in front of them. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I mean... You don't want to end up with a huge negative fight with a colleague or a staff member um, about looking after themselves. I mean, that's the whole, that's a completely the opposite result of what you're trying to achieve. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, showing, doing something in front of someone is far more important than telling them what to do. Um, it, it just, yeah, makes it feel more comfortable, but from a habits point of view is we all have lots and lots of habits. Um, an example I've used is my wife has a hot drink every one to two hours, a tea or coffee or something like that all the time. And if there's something such as stretching and micro pauses that you want, that you want to do on a regular basis, attach them to an existing habit that happens on a regular basis. So um, it's just so much easier than trying to build a brand new habit from the ground up is, is hard work. Um, yeah. but if you've got an existing habit, so if, for, for example, if, if my wife did want to put micro pauses into something she's doing, then it would be a good idea to say, okay, I'm going to turn the jug on to have a hot drink. I'm going to do my micro pause. Jug's boiled. I'm now going to reward myself for my micro pause with the hot drink. I was going to have that hot drink anyway. I was going to get up from my desk. I was going to click the, the kettle and let it boil. All I'm doing is putting something in the middle of an existing habit so much easier um, to get that sort of thing done. So the habits are the things that you don't necessarily have to think that hard about because your body has basically gone into low power mode. Uh, I was talking about this in my last episode. Um, one thing that I am really good at doing re re quite regularly is going to the bathroom. <laughs> I, I, I basically work right off of my bathroom, which is kind of awesome when I'm short on time. Um, but what I'm trying to do is ingrain a thing in my head that says, putting your foot up on the tub, that's a really good height for that stretch that your leg needs so bad. And so I'll look at my toilet seat even, and when it's closed, I'm like, I can either put my foot here or on the tub, but this is like my stretching spot. And I'm trying to ingrain that into my mind is not coming very naturally, but going to the bathroom is. And so when I'm trying to make that association, um, it's working. Like when I walk oh, out absolutely. of my bedroom and I go into the um, kitchen, there's a really nice spot that I can just stretch. And so I'm turning that into part of my routine. And then eventually I'm hoping that it'll become a habit. Yep, absolutely. Do you have anything um, like that that's working for you? 
Yeah, well, the, the other thing is most of the ergonomic training at desks is to have everything within arm's reach, so you don't have to bend over or stretch or lift up or do anything like that. Um, but that has a negative side to it too, in which you don't move much from your desk and your, your spine stays in the same position, your shoulders stay in the same position. So something that I've done, um, and I'm not qualified in this regard, so you know, feel free to chat, chat to other qualified people about this, is if there's something that I would regularly do, like a, like a drink or a, a marker or a ruler or something that I would use a, a few times an hour, actually put it several meters away. So you have to actually go away from your desk, take a few steps, bring it, bring it back, and that on its own is a small micro pause. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think stretches and stuff like that are a really good idea, but they're quite time intensive and they feel time intensive. But if you can build a whole bunch of micro pauses in, just, you know, literally, hang on, let me go and grab this. Right. That's just rotated my shoulders, moved my spine around, let my muscles control where my spine is rather than it and just it staying. Eyes. Yeah. Yep. Moving your eyes around, move your head. Like, like when you're learning to drive, turn your head, don't flick your eyes. <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> um, really is simple little things like that. Um, but just be aware of those things um, and have a, have a plan in place. If you need a timer every half hour, do it. Absolutely. Um, but also make sure overall, that you're... Or make, make sure you're working on one or two habits or one or two things at a time. Don't try to change a dozen things at once because that's just too much. You just work on something. Once it's become a habit, work on something else and um, feel free to notice later on, oh, I've stopped doing that. Let me go back to do it again. If you get in a habit and you fall out of the habit, it's very easy to start that habit again. It's so, so much easier than the first happened, time. We were talking a little bit about um, time management the other day. And when you're saying this, it's reminding me that, you know, I've had to go into uh, physical therapy uh, a few different times over the years from some of my chronic injuries and things. And it takes so much time to you know, make the appointment and get there. It's about a 20 minute drive. I'm there for an hour or an hour and a half. And then I'm driving home. And it's like, that was two some hours out of my day. If only I had been thinking about my micro pauses and my stretches at home, I wouldn't be needing to drive clear over to wherever. Um, you know, as far as like time management, um, sometimes taking that little one minute break or five minute break can really pay off in the, in the long run. Absolutely. So total productivity for, for the day um, usually goes up or remains the same with better health incomes if you incorporate micro pauses and, and body movements and things into it. Um, yeah, I heard no, you talk ab- about that relating. I heard you talking about that relating to when you've got the 50 kids in a line. Why don't you talk about that, your micro pause that you do? Oh, sure. So I, I really enjoy this too. And I, I like to do things that, that I enjoy. So if you're not a balloon artist, um, a very common scenario for a balloon artist is to have a line of 50, 100, 1000 um, families. I say families because I encourage the adults to wait with the kids. Um, and sometimes the adults get sculptures themselves. But you have people waiting a long time, half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour, hour and a half um, from the time they join the end of the line to the time they get to the front and get their balloon sculpture from you. So I quite regularly um, step to the I step to the left. I should actually start stepping to the right now. We're talking about this just as much, but I step to the left, which is just my habit, and I loudly announce, "Hey, everyone! Just a reminder: you've been you've been waiting really well in the line. Um, you're not moving around very much. So for all of your health, let's do a few micro pauses. So let's go five star jumps. One, two, three, four, five, and then if if you're if you're not particularly healthy or if you've hurt your foot or something like that, you know, just turn around three times. And I'm not going to turn around because I'm aware I'm attached to something here. Turn around three times. You can even show them, yep, do a few lunges, do it like this. So you're getting the whole line to do this. You're freeing them up. You're, you're reminding them you know they're there so that, yeah, they're at the back of the line, but you know they're there. You've just talked to them, but you're giving yourself all these stretches and micro pauses at the same time while you're teaching them or explaining it to them. 
So there, there's so many layers of benefits that this does. Um, and the biggest one is someone's been waiting an hour and a half and they come up to me. I don't want to be physically sore and tired and not give them my full attention and not give them those few minutes of entertainment that they've been waiting for. You know, they deserve from that wait, they deserve me to be refreshed. And if they're refreshed, that helps too. Love it. Is there anything else that we haven't gotten to? So, yeah, there's another aspect from home businesses or, or self-employed, self-employment, um, which is growth versus sustainability. And when I say sustainability, I don't need... I mean it across the whole gamut of, of options. So that's talking about family life, work-life balance, income, um, the, the actual the environment itself, and all, all that stuff altogether. But what almost everybody experiences is if you have a hobby or a home business, all the people around you will want to say, hey, get bigger, get bigger, go and buy a retail shop need to get into exporting, you know, hey, let, let's do more of this, let's grow, 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 grow. And that's not necessarily the only thing you need to do. Um, what's really important is to get the income that you need for a number of hours of work that's acceptable to you so you can spend more time with your family if, if that's what you're focused on. Um, if you want to grow and expand, it's not really a hobby, it's not really a home business it's a business and fine go down that track be prepared for 80 to 100 hour weeks maybe 200 hour weeks when your staff call in sick um, that's absolutely fine but there's also related to this is the fact that if someone offers you some work and it's not very much money you might want to say no and one of the reasons I've, I've explained in this prior that, you know, some people will offer a very small amount of money for a very expensive gig. I'll just say no. But you can also say no in the fact that there's a whole bunch of things if you're working from home in your own business where you can save money, which is exactly the same as earning money. So I can spend half a day cooking all the meals for the week and put them in the freezer. So. Instead of us getting takeaways, I could easily save myself a couple of hundred dollars a week by not working, not taking work for my home business and actually saving $200. The irony of that is I don't pay tax on that $200 I've saved. So it's actually, if we look at GST, which is 12, which is 15% um, in New Zealand at the moment, it's um, $230 of savings if I was to earn it as well. Um, how much money do you assign to a day with your kids? So mo most people in New Zealand at least would, would not say, I'm going to spend you, I'm going to give you $100 profit here to not spend a day with your kids. They go, oh, that's a bit borderline actually. Is, is a day with my kids worth $100? I'd say it probably is. Someone's going to give me $1,000, uh, when I say give, someone's going to give me a gig that will give me $1,000 profit and that whole day is gone. Um, yeah, that's acceptable. However, go to the diary, book in a day with the kids where you can spend some of that $1,000 on them and have fun with them. Yeah. Don't just work right. for the sake of working, for the sake of money to reinvest in the business. Take money out. If you give up something with your family, put in the diary to do it some other time in the future. Um, there, there's all sorts of things that you can save. Childcare is a massive one. Um, mm -hmm. Just huge amounts of savings for, for families um, if you're working from home. And that might mean you don't earn as much as you want to earn. But bear in mind, especially here in Auckland, you can pay $500 a week in childcare. Um, and that is a way that's that's a wage for an adult um right well and that's kind of like when i was just talking about the physical therapy thing a minute ago not only was it taking time away from my home my family and my work it also cost me something and so then you basically double that loss to our family um yeah no, do you have any now it's final 11 30 it's oh, 11 28 i'm just going to pull my stool out <laughs> and sit down on it again. 
So we are, I've been trying to keep these uh, conversations to 45 minutes to 60 minutes. So we're at that 59 minute mark here. Uh, let's just wrap up and what final um, thoughts do you have that you want to round things out with? Do you have anything that you would encourage people who are working from home for the first time or who were considering it for the first time? I guess the, the biggest thing for me would, if you're working from home, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to do so, um, but it comes with a whole bunch of challenges, particularly if you have a family. Um, so don't see the challenges as negatives. If, if the kids are making noise, it's a reminder that, hey, I'm home with the kids. Um, yeah. Let me just take two minutes out, go give my kids a hug, say, hey, sorry, I know I'm working hard today. Um, Give, give them a hug and say, I'm going to have to go back and keep on working, but I know you're here. Um, I appreciate it. It's nice to hear you playing sometimes. Maybe mum could take you out for a walk. <laughs> um, or maybe you want to ride your bike for a little bit because I'm just about to have a meeting. But I really like having you around when I'm, walk when I'm working and go back into the office. Rather than the, the typical Flintstones open up the door and scream at them to be quiet. Um, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly the same scenario, totally different. And, and that hug that a parent can get, and this can be a, someone with a, a, their significant other as well, it doesn't have to be a chi child and parent. That hug, how often in the middle of your working day do you get to have a 30-second hug with someone? You know, well, that you should be hugging. <laughs> not in the office, not so much. Yeah. No, that's a massive advantage. And when the family or is being noisy or something that's distracting you, that's a reminder that they're there. Take that reminder. Go and enjoy it. Come back. Again, recharge. You've got some of that energy, that 100% I'm talking about, to come back in and you can apply that to your work as well. The other day, I walked into our bedroom where my husband is working and I could see on his computer, um, he had all these stretching exercises up because his computer basically blocks him for a few minutes. It's like five minute micro pause. <laughs> And, awesome. <laughs> um, or they'll sometimes do like 30 seconds and then some of them are longer and I'll be like, it looks like you're taking a, um, a stretch break. Would you like to take that stretch break and walk around the block with our family? And we were just about to go Aww. out and he did, he got up and we ran around the block really quick and it was nice. Um, and then Aww. we get to have lunch with him and, you know, sometimes at lunchtime we'll play a game or he'll help the kids with homework. And, um, we haven't had that, you know, for most of his working career you know he was in grad school teaching and then now he's been uh working in a factory essentially an office at a factory for several years and we finally get to have him at home during the day it's wonderful it's a little distracting at times for him but that that benefit is really wonderful no absolutely and, and all the things you make you're not driving to work you're not taking public transport you're not there's a whole bunch of actual Eating monetary out. savings that you get from working from home. So um, if, yeah, when, when things are a little bit tough, it's like, you know what? My wage has actually realistically gone up, even though my company's not paying me anymore. Um, and mm. that's, yeah, that's, that's another thing. It's, I think working from home takes, just like working at work, it takes effort, it takes concerted practice. I'm really pleased that, um, there are people focusing and companies focusing on micro pauses and doing the stretches and doing stuff that, yeah, build in some family time, every opportunity. My eldest has gone to university this year, so he's gone now. That, that window's gone, <laughs> which mm. is, yep, take the time when you can. Well, thank you, Charles. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. I um, really appreciate your conversation um i feel like i've learned a lot from you not only just now but you know over the last several months and we really appreciate having you in our community let's um would you want to let people know how they can reach out to you or find you if they're interested in especially uh any corporate places in new zealand who need a, a um, decor specialist to, to be fair i've got a, a really good client base um yeah if but I'm also more than happy for people to contact me about the zero waste side of, um, of balloon art using quality balloons. So even if they're not customers and I'm not going to sell them anything, um, more than happy to talk about that side of things, I think. Um, yeah, but website is ecoballoons.co.nz. 
we do only wholesale to professional experienced balloon artists so if, if you want to get some eco balloons off me um, then that probably won't work unless you are a balloon artist um, okay. but yeah um, no I'm, I'm I'm pretty mature business it's been it's been 23 years now so <laughs> don't don't yeah. need advertising in the way the new business might well, we appreciate having you. And that's co.nz for the Americans who might be listening to this because you said co.nz. NZ. Sometimes I have to do that translation in my head. All right. Well, thank you, Charles. I think we're going to call it. This has been April Malone with Charles Doble. And this is Yesterday Work From Home. Take care. <laughs>